Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. You're listening to DraftKings Network. It's a beautiful What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, super producer Brandon Newman, Isaiah, back in the desert, my father, Mike Golick Sr. And, Dad, we got a great show for everybody today. They should download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us a five-star rating. Plenty of stuff to talk about with the new world of college football, the Hall of Fame game, the U.S. Women's National Team. But it seems like everyone is fighting right now. We're going to get to hands across the world of sports. We got hands in boat docks down in Birmingham. So have you gotten in any fights out in South Bend that we need to know about, Dad? Because it seems to be going around right now. I have not. All I've done is switch where I'm doing the show for a little while while because the place I was doing it looked like the Dexter murder room. So I'm actually getting that fixed up a little bit. So I'm actually in the in the little weight room we have in the South Bend house. So you may see me doing workouts in between uh, the breaks here just to build back up because God knows when, whenever you, you may get in a fight. Because not only are there fights going on everywhere, but people have become really adept at announcing them and narrating them. It's amazing the different angles from the baseball fight, which we'll talk about, which was phenomenally announced, to the, the latest dock fight that's going on, boat dock fight, that now we're seeing in so many different angles. But the narration of some of the people that they're more interested in filming what's going on than maybe helping out the situation. By God, they're going to document it and they're going to be heard in what they're saying as well. It's amazing. We are the children of pro wrestling, this entire generation. <laughs> and I'd say the generation right above and below me, because, and if anyone hasn't seen the video of this fight in the boat, Doc, just oh. wait, it's going to hit your timeline or your inbox eventually. Dan, I saw actual pro wrestling moves happening on the dock. And to your point, very pro wrestling commentary going on. It's like people have been training at home and getting ready to just unleash all of the things that they had learned in one setting. Like, Dan, I remember, and this is the clear, like, People always said video games are the problem. For me, it was the show Celebrity Deathmatch because I remember when me and my younger brother Jake used to get in fights. At one point in the basement, I got on top and just like spiked his head off the carpet. You and mom saw that and immediately said, all right, we're done watching the show for a little while here. So it's just other people that grew up with all of that as their foundation that are now unleashing it on the masses when a disagreement over a boat comes into play. Yeah, and it's real now. No, nobody's stopping them and saying you can't watch it anymore. It is, it is going on. Again, if, if you hadn't seen it, some guy was just doing his job and got jumped by a bunch of people. 
who then the, the guy who got jumped, a lot of people came to his defense and whooped ass and deservedly so whooped the ass of those guys that jumped the guy in the first place. But it turned into an unbelievable melee that, again, you just have to listen to the narration of it because it, it you start to laugh at that. In all honesty, I think we've become so desensitized, you almost think it's fake and like wrestling, which, which again, is, is great athletes doing it, but it's scripted. You don't realize these are real people getting hurt in these fights, getting smoked with a chair over the head. You think, oh, God, I saw that, you know, in WWE the other day. But no, this is real, man. It's really happening. People are really getting hurt out there. I want to hear from someone who's been hit by a folding chair what the experience yeah. is like. Because like you said, we've watched it for years in a setting where everyone is trained how to take these blows, how to deliver these blows in a way that looks real. When you actually swing a folding chair with intent, <laughs> I want to know what it's like to be on the receiving end of that. So maybe we can get a hold of somebody who was injured in this video and find the answer to the question. In the meantime, Dad, as we get to things that are actually scripted, uh, we had a lot of stuff over the weekend weekend but I know one you were pumped about was the Hall of Fame speeches we had the Hall of Fame game last Thursday we'll have more football coming up this Thursday but we did have the gold jackets actually get their moment into the sun over this weekend and you sat and watched all of these here so what were the highlights for you of the class we had going in again we saw Darrell Rivas DeMarcus Ware Joe Thomas Joe Klecko a whole bunch of great names who stuck out to you as far as what they had to say so, I mean, the speeches, the two that stuck out were DeMarcus Ware and Joe Thomas. But, I mean, I, I'm I'm one of those to hear the road. You know, they're Hall of Famers, so we know all their stats. We know what got them in the Hall of Fame. To me, the best thing about it, and I've said this forever, the best thing about it is hearing who their support group was. Was it mom? Was it dad? Was it an aunt? Was it an uncle? Was it a youth coach? Who was it? who got them on their road and helped them on their road all the way to them having a Hall of Fame career. And that's inevitably what you get from all of them is that, <clears throat> that road taken. The destination we see in the Hall of Fame, but what was the road to get there? Because the road started with all of us. We all, uh, anybody who played football to any level, be it Division One or into the NFL, you started out playing multiple sports as a kid, and then at some point you you siphoned off into just football. So we all have that story, but this led them to you know the greatest you know for their sport, the greatest achievement individually that they can get, and that's putting on a gold jacket. So that is always the best for me. I always shed a few tears in hearing some of the stories. Some are heart wrenching stories. Some are just very uplifting stories, and everything in between. And I also think, Mike. It gives everybody a great way to understand it, it. We hear this term a lot, but it's true for those who pave the way for the guys today. You know, because as the the people of today, especially the younger group of today, see you know, uh, uh, the, especially a Joe Thomas, you know, getting into the first ballot, or some of the you know the Rondé Barbers or Darrell Rivas, guys they they had seen play. I love for the fact that that a younger generation gets to hear about a Chuck Howley, an Eric Coriel, Don Coriel, a Joe Klecko, to the point where you can, in, in all honesty, because this is what we do today, to where you can Google them, to you can see what they did, what they meant to the game. Eric Coriel, the coach, was a 14-year head coach. He never made it to a Super Bowl, but he literally changed the game offensively. I mean, he, he is noted for that and has been coaching in some incredible games. He was actually, his last year of head coaching was my first year with the Houston Oilers. We actually, he was with San Diego then, and I was in Houston. We actually played him that year, but he was one and seven to start that 86 season and he got fired. So actually I didn't play as he was the head coach. He got fired during that year. But hearing about him, hearing about Chuck Howley, the only guy to be a, a Super Bowl MVP on a losing team and what he meant to the Cowboys as a linebacker. Joe Klecko being a pro bowler at all three defensive line positions and how tough he was. So I'm happy to hear the journeys on what got them there. And I love the fact that 
that people who don't know who Chuck Howley is or Joe Klecko or Eric Coriel, Don Coriel, and there's plenty of them out there that were watching that don't, that they can actually find out, listen to the stories, and then find out in for more information if they want, because there truly were just so many hundreds or really so many thousands of players that paved the way for guys like you and I to play. Well, and I think it's fun to see who influenced what, because Joe Thomas was one of the guys that I watched when I was in college. I had an offensive line coach that overlapped with him in the NFL, and he had us watching Joe Thomas tape in our meeting room. And so to find out who he was watching and who he was studying to do all that and what makes those great players tick, Dad, because you're right. That's what it all comes down to is somewhere along the way, their journey was different, whether it was what they walked out of the hospital with, whether it was the work they put in along the way. And that's always the cool part too, is to find out what separated these guys. Like dad, you and I both at different stops along the way played with hall of famers, right? For me, Zach Martin was my teammate in college. I got to see firsthand every day. What work habits make a guy like that tick? How some things just come naturally. I always tell the story that our offensive line coach, Zach's redshirt freshman year, he wasn't even playing, took something he saw Zach doing naturally and turned it into a drill for the rest of us because we should be doing that, but we weren't doing it the way that he just was normally because that's how he operated. That's just the difference that comes in with some of these guys at that elite level. You play with Reggie White, one of the greatest defensive linemen to ever play the game. Like, Dad, I've heard every Reggie White story from you a million times over the years, but I don't know if I've ever heard. Was there like a moment you remember at the beginning when you realized this guy is just different and he is on this trajectory that the rest of us can't touch? Well, you, you said it, and, and I'll I'll say it as well. It's what you see. It's not what everybody sees on Sundays or on Saturdays, right? It's the preparation. It's how you see them prepare and what you see them do in practice, not just games where you go, okay, that person's just different, you know? And, and when I got to Philadelphia in 87, Reggie, Reggie had come out of Tennessee and he had played with the Memphis Showboats in USFL and then was in Philly. And you could just watch, watch him, just like you watched Zach do things that no matter how hard you tried, you weren't doing. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't emulate anything that Reggie White was doing. Our D-line coach, Dale Hopp, God rest his soul, both he and Reggie, tried to have Reggie teach us what that Reggie rip and hump move that Reggie just would throw offensive linemen. And Reggie tried it for about three minutes and couldn't do it. He goes, Dale, I can't teach it. I just do it. And that's kind of it, right? They just do it. And, and he was born with so much ability, but he worked at it. He worked hard in the weight room. He worked hard on the practice field. So you could just see that he was different. And, and players are the first to know, right? We, we know the pecking order in a locker room. We know the writing on a wall in a locker room of who is where. And he, is, he was just different. Just like Zach is different, Reggie was different. You just looked at him and said, oh, yeah, that, that's just a different guy right there. And he went on to show it to become one of the greatest D linemen of all time. But I'm watching a 315-pounder run a 4640. I'm watching a, a guy do 405 13 times or whatever it was. So he was physically Jesus. strong in the weight room, but he had incredible leverage. He had incredible quickness. He had incredible speed. And it, I mean, it just everything in, in one body. It was just, it was amazing to watch. So much so, Mike, you watch him and you're just like, he is so great, and I play the same sport, and I will never come close to doing anything he has ever done on the football field. That's the worst part for all of us in the others <laughs> category is at some point you look over and go, oh, that's what it's supposed to look like. I can see why my coach <laughs> yells at me so much. <laughs> hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge. You grab the bull by the horns. You find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy.
Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. All right, Dad, from a Hall of Fame effort to uh, an unfortunate early round exit Mm. from a group we're used to operating at that level, U.S. Women's National Team lost to Sweden over the weekend, ending their World Cup run in the round of 16 for the first time ever. Um, They lost in penalty kicks. The match went 0-0 in regulation, ends up going to PKs after that. And in the ultimate, and she even commented on this, sort of a dark comedy, Megan Rapinoe, who announced before the tournament that this would be her last one, ends up being the one to miss a penalty kick. And she said, I can't remember the last time I missed one. She was correct. The last time she had missed one was all the way back in 2018. She was... um, uh, Aubrey Kingsbury was the goalkeeper in the NWSL the last time with, for either club or country that she missed a penalty kick. And so, uh, Dad, an, an unfortunate and uncharacteristic exit for women's soccer that has a lot of people scratching their heads. Who do we blame for this, I think, is the question everybody is asking right now. So I'll ask you. Well, I mean, gosh, we're hearing everything, right? And by the way, she was one of three who m- completely missed the net which was just stunning to me to see. First thing I think we, we're going to understand is there's going to be a new coach. Andonovsky is going, is go, his contract runs out at the end of the year, and he's probably going to be let go before that. They got a bronze when he was a coach in the Olympics in 21, and now the earliest exit ever in the, for the national team, for the women in the World Cup. So he, he's going to be gone. So there's going to be a new coach. It's just a matter of when and who uh, that's going to be. As far as on on the field, Mike, listen, neither you or I is adept enough at the game of soccer to be able to talk about what is going on on the field, whether it's substitutions, how players are playing and all that, to give a good reason as to why they lost, other than there there, there are reasons. Remember, we talked about, what is it, 14 newcomers to the World Cup team? Um, So do you have a little bit of that newness? us not being as good as the last two teams that won and the rest of the world getting a little bit better as well. So the talent gap maybe has closed there. Um, the whole thing with Megan Rapino. listen, and I, I don't agree with some of the things she has been saying over the years either, but I'm not going to sit there and say, you know, everybody seems to be, you know, clapping at the fact that she failed. I, I'm certainly not going anywhere near that because at the height of her, if you want to call it activism, whatever, they were winning World Cups. I mean, they were getting that done. So to use that now and say, well, they lost because of that is is ridiculous. But there are those that are reveling in the loss because they don't like the way she has acted over the years. So they're saying, oh, we're happy that they lost and she was part of the reason for it. I'm certainly not diving that deep into it. We've had the best team in the world for a number of years, and now we don't. So again, it's going to be a new coach. It's going to be the fact that these players, a lot of firsts, that they're going to get seasons now by the next uh, Olympics, which, oh, by the way, is next summer, and then the next World Cup as well to see where this team is going to be. But it is amazing those that really had a problem with some of the uh, some of the players on this team for a few years, how they are reveling in this loss. And I, I just don't get it, man. I just, I root for us no matter what, but I know they're saying some of these women, especially Megan were anti us and the way they acted. I mean, the, the where yeah. it's going is absolutely unbelievable. And I just want to look at it as a soccer match, uh, that was lost. Yeah. That maybe we're not as good it's... as we were, uh, and the rest of the world is getting a little better as well. Yeah, there's a lot of people that want to project some things on this right now, and I'm not going to give a bunch of people arguing in bad faith the time of day. Um, What I will say, Dad, is you're right in that, and I think I saw Bamani Jones tweet about this, and I think this is the most apt comparison is this is the what has been the U.S. men's national team in basketball's problem 
for the right. last God right. knows however many years. And I would say with soccer, it's even more fold where we parachute in for the big contests, right? You know, for that, it's the Olympics. For this, it's the Olympics and the World Cup. But it's still, every so often, it is a sport that we know comparatively less than the others. And so when you walk in and we've had the expectation for so long, hey, we're the best at this. We can just walk in and as a fan, we can assume that we're the best at this and we can operate with that in mind. When all of a sudden that doesn't happen, we don't have a lot of on-field reasons we can point to. We can listen to all our smart friends talk about the errors that this coach made, but then it leaves people room to project their politics on this, to workshop whatever idea or shoehorn it into the conversation however they want to because of the knowledge gap that exists here. When in reality, yeah, hurt team, young team, team had a lot of best their best players having to move around. I mean, hell, Julie Ertz, who was coming back, who also announced her retirement after this, right. was having to switch positions in the middle of this back to something she hadn't played since 2019. The writing was kind of on the wall all over the place. And as we heard from the Swedish players who are like, they have helped raise the standard for everybody else. They were the ones after the game saying, you guys need to be a lot nicer to your team because they've done a lot for the game worldwide. I, I side, sort of find all of the rest of this stuff laughable when people want to say, oh, well, this team, they're laughing in all the wrong moments, or maybe they're not yeah. working hard enough, as if any of y'all know, as if any of y'all were yeah. there at training when this is going on. Get real. Yeah, every, everybody's looking for their reason now and, and taking their shot because you can take the shot because it's a worst finish ever, the 238 minutes without scoring a goal. There's so many things to, to take your shot at that people are doing it, and, and I, it, it's somewhat ridiculous. When I look at it kind of like, Remember when UConn women's basketball was dominating everything and everybody was like, what the hell is going on? What, what do we do? And Gina Oriema, you know, unapologetically and rightfully so said, hey, get better. <laughs> you you want to stop us? Get better for the rest of the teams. And we've seen that happen. And I think we're seeing that in the rest of the world as well. They're getting better where we may be, as I said earlier, be down a little bit now. Um, but I think we'll get that experience and hopefully be back up again. But uh, between us being down and, and the rest of the world getting better, this is what you get here. This is where we are. But yeah, but but this is where we also are in society, Mike. This is everybody's chance to take their shot at why I don't like this person and this, this is the reason we lost. And you're right. We parachute in every World Cup or every, every Olympic. We take our shots and think we know. And you don't know what the hell you're talking about. When I, I like to just keep it on the field and, and nothing that's going on off the field is is affecting what's going on the field. I know that may be a naive approach, but yeah, too many people taking a whole lot of uh, joy in the fact that they didn't like this team or some of the players on this team and they lost. Now everybody gets their ha-ha moment when I'm just like, it just sounds so petty and ridiculous. It is. So uh, congrats to the uh, women of the U.S. Women's National Team for once again representing our country. Uh, we'll get them in Paris. Sound the trumpets. It's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIT. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus, 21+, plus in certain states, to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com. Dad, the other big one from over the weekend, really right after we shut the microphones off last week on Friday, we were talking about the death rattle of the Pac-12 and if they had been able to keep two hands on the wheel and save it. There were rumors that at the 11th hour, a television deal had come onto the table that was actually going to unite the Pac-12 and the presidents were all going to get together to sign its grant of rights. And it was gone almost as soon as we oh. finished. And now we got the announcement streaming in over the weekend, officially from all parties involved, that as the dust settles, 
Washington and Oregon will now, in fact, be heading to join the Big Ten in 2024 and joining Colorado, who had already announced their intention to leave for the Big 12. You will have Utah, Arizona and Arizona State also joining the Big 12. The dead, as you pointed out, all are going to need some facelifts on these names unless they want to go with the Big 10 model of just leaving that number there as more of an idea and a vibe than a real literal representation of who's in the conference. Well, I mean, the the, the Pac-12 used to be the Pac-8, and they, were, they had actually had different titles. This has also had me look at the history a little bit. And, you know, the Pac-12, the pack, whatever it was, then actually disbanded in the 50s uh, and got going again then in the 60s. Uh, and now it's going to be gone uh, again. The Pac-12, by the way, is the only conference to have over 500 national titles in all sports. They'd be dominating, you know, in volleyball and other stuff like that. But over 500 national titles, 11 Heisman Trophy winners. So... It's it's a shame what's going on, but it's it's amazing how because like you said, we thought it was going to be done. Everybody in the Pac-12 thought it was going to be a done deal. And for anybody looking for a few more specifics, it seemed uh, that this Pac-12 deal, which was going to be with Apple and was going to be streaming and talked about subscriptions, at its face was going to be about twenty-three million dollars per team, which is well below the 31.7 million for the Big 12 and well below the 50 or 60 million a team for the Big 10 and the SEC. But along with that, it was, remember, it was subscription-based. And the deal, it sounded like, if they got 1.7 million subscribers, that would have jumped the number to equal the Big 12 of basically 31, $32 million per team. And Klevkoff, the the commissioner, wanted them to think even bigger and said, if we get 5 million subscribers, each team would pass the $50 million per team. So they would be up there with the big boys and the Big Ten and the SEC. But again, it was going out and selling subscriptions which didn't yeah, seem... Yeah, and, and just for a little for a little context on that, by the way, and shout out to the Reddit College Football Twitter account, for context, the NFL Sunday ticket has 2.4 million subscribers, so you would have been asking the Pac-12 <laughs> on its own, the remaining entities of that, without USC yeah. and UCLA already, to basically have subscription numbers on par with what the NFL's done there. So it's kind of like when we see the incentives built into NFL contracts, and some of them look a little bit unreasonable. This is one where, yeah, that sounds nice to say after the fact, but I don't think that's a realistic number for them. Well, no, it's not. And hence, everybody basically fleeing, right? <laughs> and, and running for the exit saying, okay, that sounds great, but it ain't going to happen just for one of the reasons that you gave right there. Hey, only 1.7 million subscriptions, only 5 million. Well, difficult to do and not going to happen. So, you know, so much has been going on uh, on Twitter and Instagram with all this and social media. And Mike, there's so many tentacles of this. This is the way I, I look at, at, at two things. Uh, well, I guess really three. Anybody complaining about NIL or players transferring, stuff it, okay? Just absolutely stuff it. When you have, A, coaches that were signing seven-year deals and bolting after two to now basically in the span of a couple of years, 12 teams switching conferences. So you lose that argument. Don't bring it up anymore. You sound foolish if you do. Yeah, the, the kids learned by watching you. That's what I've said about yeah, yeah. all of this throughout this entire process is if you're wondering, it's that old PSA, I learned it by watching you. They stared up at the money and the power around the sport and said, huh, so everyone makes money hand over fist. Everybody gets to go and move where they want, but I'm supposed to be the one that just sits here on my ass being the only one who's on the clock, the only one who has got a defined yep. four years of eligibility over five-year period to work with there. Yeah, laughable, a farce, go on. Yeah, so, I mean, let, let's just stop with, with that argument. The other is college football is going to be fine, in my opinion. College football is still going to be college football. Stadiums are going to sell out. We may not have the rivalries we had before, but that's happened in the past already with teams that have switched conferences. So, and we still may get a new model for, will football at some point separate from everybody else? Who knows? There's still going to be changes, but my point is 
college football is still going to be unbelievably popular. To me, it will be the second biggest sport behind the NFL. To me, that's not going to change. What one thing you want to jump on that quick? Well, I, I will say on that one, I think the fear for a lot of people, and I really don't know how the math maths on this, but I do understand the sentiment that when you're taking a sport that's always been largely regional, I always explain to people, college game day has been the biggest national college football show for my adult lifetime. And part of the reason it works, despite being a national entity, is what's their model? They go into these specific communities and they show you the local flavor. They show you why this matters. Hell, they've flown old crimson in every college game day, the, st the flag for Washington right. State for God knows how long, because the idea was you sell how local it is and how important it is in these specific communities you zoom in on. And so, Deb, when you take away teams that could go a car ride to play their rival and have that stadium packed to the opposing team, teams that feel like, oh, their region matters and is, is served here, and you start to siphon off a few of those mores by the wayside as this goes along, as the smaller teams get left behind because financially they aren't as big an asset to the group and the collective that is whatever the conference is named or whatever the Super League is that is formed, I do wonder if you kneecap enough of the fan base, even tying together all the big popular games like we've seen. You know, everyone doesn't begrudge you. Hey, Oregon, you know, Georgia does numbers at the beginning of the year. Notre Dame, Clemson does huge numbers every time they play. I, I, you see what drove this. It's TV executives looking and saying, all right, well, if some of that's great, more of it's better. But I do wonder at some point along the way if you're going to affect the product. I agree. It's going to exist there in some form, likely as everyone's talked about, as sort of a junior version of the NFL in its own little world as the rules and the court rulings stack up. But I, I do wonder if eventually that's going to come and bite you in the ass just because – it is an inherently worse product than the NFL if you don't have the atmosphere around it. That much we saw clearly during the pandemic. I, I agree with that, but I think just like the NFL, though college isn't the NFL, football is going to be just fine. The thing, the biggest thing here, and quite honestly, your mother just sent this to both of us, and I, I this is exactly what I was going to say. Former Notre Dame coach, Hall of Famer, Muffet McGraw. And this is, this is where the biggest issue is going to happen. She said, time to stop whining about where college football is headed and figure out how to save the rest of college sports. Let football break with the NCAA, form their own league, and let college basketball and the Olympic sports continue the conference model. There has to be another way to preserve all that is good in college athletics and give our student athletes the experience they deserve. That's the other issue and probably the biggest issue because, Mike, your sister swam. She had, you had friends on the soccer team, the lacrosse team, you know, all these other sports, the non-football and, and, and let's just say football here, non-revenue really of football and basketball. But what is going to happen to them? Start the clock now, this year and next year, on how many of these schools that have changed conferences will have to drop other sports because the cost is just going to be too great to travel to travel from Oregon to Rutgers or Rutgers to Oregon or whatever it may be for your, you know, softball team or the volleyball team or the lacrosse team or whatever of where it affects you. If Stanford or Cal goes to the Mountain West and you're making nowhere near the money you would have made in a Power Five conference. So now where is that money coming from? Are you dipping into the money that, that's been donated to the school? You know, and how long do you take that before you drop a sport so it's not costing you money? These are the biggest losers of all. We talk about the fans. I get it. But the fans still have a chance to go to a stadium. The fans still have a chance to watch it on the field. But those other athletes, are their chances going to dry up? You know, what is going to happen here now that the travel is bigger and more expansive than what it was? What happens to all those other athletes? And I know football fans, some don't care about that. They just care about their football. But there's a hell of a lot of athletes out there that work a hell, a hell of a lot harder or as hard as football players. But it's not a revenue sport. And I get it. I understand the, the thought process there. But they've always had a place to play. What's going to happen now? 
Where are those? Is 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 it going to be business as usual? We know it's not. So what is the change going to be there for the Olympic sport athletes for all of these schools where everything has now changed to where a bus ride now turns into a plane ride, which turns into getting back early in the morning and still having to go to class because these guys, people in Olympic sports, aren't playing professional sports and they have to, you know, go in the real world when this is all over. Quite honestly, like 98% of the football players as well. That's going to be one right. of the biggest shifts here. Football is going to shift, but football is going to be okay comparative to those sports. What's going to happen to those men and women that are busting their asses just as much and through no fault of their own? And, and every one of you presidents of the university out there that are just trying to vacuum in money to your school, you don't give a damn. You, let, me, let me really say that slow. You don't give a damn about those student athletes. Don't try and say you do. Anytime you try it, it rings hollow and you should be muzzled for saying it or fined for lying because you don't care. And you just say, it's almost like that athlete that signs the big deal and says it wasn't about the money. Yes, it was. I would have more respect for a president that said, we made this move for the money. We made this move so we can bring in more, and there's going to be collateral damage because of it, because there's going to be. I'd have a hell of a lot more respect for a president that would actually say that because that's the truth, but they won't. They And, and they'll try and talk about how they care about all of them. You don't give a damn about most of the student athletes with these moves. That's just a fact. Yeah, and I think this points to the problem I've seen so many people circle in this conversation is there's no one running all of this. Like right. the reason that we are left to this point where greed governs every decision is because you don't have anyone else to do it. And I've always comped college football with European soccer in the regard of how the sport is structured with the exception of the fact that they've got someone actually governing things over there versus what college football has. And so what you get is a bunch of people are nervously operating with their own self-interest in mind. Like dad, I'm sure there is the fear. And if you're a president trying to justify this and say, well, if we don't, we're going to get left behind. We're going to be one of the ones on the outside looking in. And the last thing that we want to do is be left as the Pac-4 or whatever's left currently in that conference, wondering what your future is going to look like, wondering if you're going to be one of the teams. Like, there is a desperation. But again, all of that is born out of greed. It's not that the Pac-12 wasn't going to make any money on the TV deal. They just weren't going to make as much money as everybody else. And we're seeing this happen right now across our industry, across a bunch of different industries where you're still making money, but you're not as profitable as you used to be. And everyone starts to get nervous because that's the only thing we care about. And that underscores this decision. You mentioned the fans. I would say the fans have never had more in common than they do with the players right now with the realization that the decisions being made in your sport have no worry or no care about you at the center of it and that is true for players and that is true for fans right now this is made from tv executives looking and university presidents looking at the ratings and saying all right those are good we like the big ratings and the big games how do we make more of those happen and to be clear part of that's going to be sick like you mentioned part of the reason this is going to work in college football is because lining up and seeing Penn State and Oregon play in Happy Valley is going to be yeah. awesome. In the new Big 12, getting BYU and Utah, getting that rivalry to be a conference game now is going to be awesome. There are going to be wins in here for the national viewer, but for the local fan who's been used to driving to an away game nearby, to having it be local and personal and deep and connected geographically there, all that stuff's going to go by the wayside, just like it's going to get harder for all the players that you mentioned, Dan. So I actually think they've never had more in common than they do right now. And, and, you know, as I mentioned, the president's trying to sell this. One of the ways they're going to try and sell it is, listen, we just moved to a conference where we're getting more money, so we'll be able to keep these sports going. Let's see. You know, let's see if, if that happens. But in, I, I think well, overall, the, these these other students have kind of been left behind, student-athletes. Well, yeah. And, and even dad, if, and I just call them athletes, that whole moniker is a farce anyway. 
Yeah. The other athletes involved here, even if they do stay in play, and even if there is money to fund the programs, logistically, it still becomes something that, again, if you're a president, goes completely counter to the sham of amateurism or this idea that higher education matters to people. Like my last year at Notre Dame, when we were good and we did the 12-0 and season, we chartered every stadium because that's how the football teams usually travel at these big-time schools. We had all the best stuff and all the things ready and it was still tough we played six or seven night games that year a bunch of which were on the road when we played at sc at night to end the season we got back at four o'clock in the morning and like you said you got to wake up the next day and do treatment and get ready to try and go to class and catch up with your peers that didn't have to do a full cross-country trip over the weekend now multiply that for the athletes and the and the other sports that are traveling commercial that have multiple games at sometimes during the same week that are also being asked to keep up with those studies and deal with the whims of commercial travel like that and now have to factor in what that kind of travel does to your body like when we went to play in ireland there was a ton of time and effort devoted to the science of our bodies and how they would respond to travel over the course of that trip because it's an effect and from an athletic standpoint you're always factoring those things in because you're looking for the edge in competition how do we make sure that we're preparing our athletes bodies in the best way possible to go and win on the field a bunch of the players that we've seen speak out over the weekend online and in other formats are saying, yeah, what about our bodies on the other end when we're supposed to do the other full-time job of being a student like y'all tell us is so important around here and then deal with that? Those are the ramifications that dad, even in the best case scenario, if those presidents are right and the money is enough to keep all these sports and these players get to stay on scholarship and do their thing, their job just got infinitely harder, and the point yeah. I will always make, and I saw Eli Drinkwitz, uh, the head coach of Missouri, make this point, and I, I don't know Eli Eli's personal policy enough around Missouri to make him a sympathetic figure or not, but what he said, none of this was collectively bargained. No one had a say in all of this, and so different from the professional leagues where we can always point back to that, none of these athletes asked for this. The Stugatz line has never been more true. And so all those players who just had their burden increased at the center of this product had no say in how it actually shakes out. And that's why it feels, among other reasons, as dirty as it does. Well, I mean, and that's another reason we sit there and talk about college sports as a rudderless ship, right? When we first went to NIL yeah. a couple of years ago, as we talked about the wild, wild west, and it's kind of still that way until you get some kind of guardrails for it. You know, right now it's the president. The presidents are the NCAA. Now, the NCAA never had control over something like this. But, you know, their, their claim to fame is, you know, suspending Jim Harbaugh four games for giving a kid a burger in a dark period of recruiting. I mean, seriously, it, it, just, yeah. it just seems laughable what, what their part, and I don't even call it integral, what their part is in all of this. This is truly, again, the coaches have no say, the players have no say, the ADs, quite honestly, don't have any say. This is the university president's who are making these decisions that that's who the what the NCAA is yeah the NCAA are essentially mall cops when it comes to football dad's absolutely right if people have never understood they have no bearing like we see they sponsor the NCAA basketball tournament that's why you see all the different trophies those wooden ones get handed out at all the other sports and football's had a crystal ball which they should go back to or this new gold trophy now they've never had any bearing on this thing and for a long time the sport has succeeded because we all love football a whole lot. Like that's right. the other part of this is none of the players involved decided which of these sports would be the most popular. They just happen to have a skill set that lines up with the one that we all watch the most and all the eyeballs and money go to. So where does this stop dad is I, I don't know. Like I always thought that idea of a super league in college football, and what you mentioned breaking away from the NCAA, the stuff we talked about in the pandemic, I thought that was, more than a decade out. I thought that was pie in the sky a long ways away. But again, if no one's running this, then what governs it? What governs it is the thing we've said over and over again, maybe quietly, but we'll say it loud here. It's greed. It's some is great yeah. and more is better. And so greed is not going to stop governing this. The teams aren't going to look around now and say, well, you know what? This is good enough. Like we've got it here now. We're going to be good to go. This is going to keep being the MO. Everyone's going to keep looking over their shoulder at what the next version of the Reaper is coming for the makeup of this sport. And so are we dealing with a super year team inside of the decade? I would say probably trending that way because what's there to stop it? Right now, the answer is nothing because human nature is to keep reaching for more. And college football has shown us that if nothing else, it is a really siloed down, really siphoned down version of human nature playing out each and every weekend and in the off season, apparently. 
The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Dad, let's finish this off with this, that, and the third. Three quick stories to end your day, as always. Or I should say start your day, end your day. It's like 11 o'clock Eastern. Uh, as always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us that five-star rating. Tell us more of what you want to hear. And, Dad, before we get to all of the knockouts in this, that, and the third, do want to <laughs> remind you guys about our friends at Knock Around. Summer's still in full swing right now. We're holding on for dear life, friends. But don't worry, because the sun still exists in the fall. And that's why you need the go-to for high-quality polarized sunglasses that aren't going to break the bank. You can keep supporting your favorite Major League Baseball team. They've got the first nine teams of their MLB collection. Red Sox, Yankees, Astros, Mariners, Padres, Dodgers, all the good stuff here. And while the U.S. women are no longer playing, you can still pick out the U.S. women's national team soccer sunglasses. Get ready for Paris and the Olympics next summer. It's all deadly. So don't be the person squinting into the sun, trying to get sand out of your overpriced shades. Head to knockaround.com and get great-looking polarized sunglasses that start at just $28. Dad, uh, let's get to this, because we talked about fights that happened over this weekend. We always make fun of baseball for the hold-me-back fights, right? Big scrums where nothing ever happens. Everyone gets to look tough, but nobody actually gets to get hurt. Jose Ramirez and Tim Anderson decided to stop with all the nonsense and get to the actual fisticuffs here when the Guardians took on the White Sox. Jose Ramirez slid into second base at some point during this game, and the two of them started getting into it. At that point, it was 5-1 at Progressive Field, and as Ramirez touched the bag hands first, he slid through Anderson's legs at second base. Anderson looked down, held out a hand to maybe help him up. They didn't help him up. They started pointing and pushing at each other. Next thing I know, you see Tim Anderson drop the glove and full-on square up. Like, I want to be clear. Tim Anderson was a willing participant in what was about to go down. And I tell you who was not a willing participant, that umpire that was standing in the middle, who as soon as he saw the fist go up, backed away like a boxing ref and said, let's get it on. And what happened next was a pair of blows thrown by Tim Anderson, ultimately the victim of then, Jose Ramirez, blindly throwing haymakers that connected right in Tim Anderson's chin and sent him to nap time very quickly. Dad, this is one of the cleanest baseball punches I have ever seen. You're right about the umpire. It reminded me kind of of like the hockey refs, right? When he's trying to separate the yes. two and then the two players drop gloves and the, the, and the in hockey, that's what they do. They back away. They let you fight till someone hits the ground. Well, what's different here in baseball is while those two are squaring off, everybody else is running onto the field. Even the bullpen, which gets there late and is actually winded by the time they get there and couldn't fight anyway. But they actually squared off. You, you said it right. The umpire backs away and they go. The amazing thing about Ramirez, he had no idea he caught him on the button with that shot. Because by the way, he was swinging wildly, but somebody had him in a chokehold from behind and dude just kept throwing haymakers. And you know what? That's what happened. You can't connect with a haymaker if you ain't throwing a haymaker. So he just blindly swinging. Someone's got a chokehold on him. And then you go right on the button to Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson looked like he was out halfway falling to the ground. He got up like Tua coming off the, you know, when when he first hit his head on the turf, just all wobbly. And and then Tim Anderson later, by the way, they took him into the dugout. He came running out later to try and get back into the fight. But you are right. This is one of the rare occasions where there were actually fisticuffs thrown in a game. Usually it's everybody running out and exchanging addresses and, 
and everybody can square up and be tough because you know everybody else is going to make it out there and nothing's really going to happen. But every now and then, even in baseball, you get a real Donnybrook. And this was it. it was this got going? And man, Ramirez did he did he land that shot? I do love, and everyone pointed out that Elvis Andres, who was out there on the field, actually had a front row seat to maybe two of the best baseball punches ever. You remember that Rugnetto door punch on Jose Batista, oh, yeah. where he absolutely waylaid him. Elvis Andres yeah. has been on the field for both of these, so much you know, much like when you see uh, Castellano step up to the plate, you know somebody yeah. who said something problematic somewhere is about to have a home <laughs> run hit in the middle of their moment. If you see Elvis Andres on the field, somebody's about to get punched in the face. Yeah. Act accordingly. Guard yourself and arm yourself with knowledge. Dad, speaking of punches thrown over the weekend, let's get to that. Jake Paul took down Nate Diaz Saturday night on pay-per-view um, in yet another instance of Jake Paul outboxing an old former UFC fighter. I watched most of this pay-per-view, Dad. I know you did as well here. What have you taken away from the Jake Paul boxing experience now that we've gotten more and more exposure to this? So, uh, listen, I'll, I'll give Jake Paul. A lot of people want to see Jake Paul get beat. And when he fought an actual boxer, he did lose. So, you know, he is fighting a lot of the older MMA guys. But I'll, I'll give him this. And, and you said this, you know, uh, last night. You know, he, he doesn't have to do this, right? I mean, from a money standpoint. But he wants to. He wants to become a great boxer or a great fighter. And while, you know, he's going about it a way to build himself up. Listen, while we say he's fighting former MMA guys, it would be really stupid the other way, just getting into boxing and make him go fight a really good boxer to where he would get just toasted right out of the gate. So he's building up. Where I'm going to give him a ton of credit, Mike, is he is willing to give Nate Diaz a rematch in MMA because he said he was going to jump into MMA and start doing it because a lot of these type of deals – the boxer will not go in the in the octagon, right? And Nate for Nate Diaz, kind of the last claim to fame is when he choked out Conor McGregor and beat him in the octagon. And nobody ever thinks these boxers like Jake Paul will step in the octagon, but Jake Paul is going to. So I give him credit. He'll do the training for it, and he's going to step in the. Now again, it'll be against a 38 year old Nate Diaz, or maybe 39 by the time this happens. And Jake Paul is just 26, but Jake Paul is working, right? He's training for this. He went 10 rounds. You got to be in good shape to go 10 rounds. So I do give him credit for all of that. It wasn't the greatest boxing match in the world, but who expects that? It's a guy who's not a really a professional boxer like we're known to see and a former MMA guy who is just boxing and can't kick or knee anybody either. So you kind of get what you get. Anybody that paid their 59 bucks like I did, I didn't go in expecting to see this classic boxing match. I went in to see some kind of show and maybe Nate Diaz forget where he was and in the seventh round throw a roundhouse kick, you know, at Jake Paul uh, to see if that would happen. But I give Jake Paul credit for the amount of work he's putting into this whole thing. It just reminded me, Nate Diaz, bad body all-star. That man looks like yeah. he has no business having pulled off the things athletically he does. Slump shoulders. Fights like Rocky, honestly. His main defense was let me get punched in the face, especially early on, and somehow keep staggering through it. So if he drags himself back into the octagon for more punishment, I have no idea what it's going to look like because Nate Diaz, quite honestly, has never been a guy that's looked and gone out and looked like a no. world beater. He somehow just manages to pull that thing off and uh, couldn't that night. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was something. And I think that's how I walk away from every Jake Paul fight is, I feel like I was entertained. I feel like I got my money's worth out of that. And I don't know exactly what I watched or if I should be all that excited about it. Um, Dad, let's get to the third. This was a story out of Eastern Michigan football. Brian Dooley, an offensive lineman who was second team All-Mac last year, surrendered his scholarship for his fellow walk-on brother, Zach Conti, a player who had been paying his way through school on his own for the past four years, had even resorted to selling his plasma in order to help pay the bills. They had a ceremony in front of the team, because remember, Dad, there's only 85 scholarships given right. out. Usually, when we see these great walk-on receiving scholarship videos, it's because somewhere along the way, a scholarship they had accounted for became available, and they're able to give one out. This player looked at one of his brothers and said, all right, well, the system can't do anything for you, which is its own problem, and I will always point back to a system with a ton of money, should be the ones footing the bill. But for this guy to go to bat like that for his brother, pretty special and a reminder of the bond that exists on these teams and especially in offensive line rooms. 
It's it's one of the things, Mike, when I've talked about it and I said every athlete, including yourself, will talk about when you say, what do you miss most in that, that team sport atmosphere? And for the most part, especially in football, people are going to say the locker room. And you heard a lot of the, the guys who got inducted into the Hall of Fame say the same thing. The brotherhood and the family uh, atmosphere in the locker room, this perfectly displays it and a real tip of the cap to Brian Dooley for doing making the sacrifice that he did. Yep, incredible stuff. Congratulations to both those guys. Good luck in the upcoming season. Good luck to you downloading, subscribing, rating, and reviewing this pod. We'll see you tomorrow. Go, go. Boom. Money in the bank.